0: Hey, hi! Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine. It's great to have you here. My guest this week is actor producer Carolina Barchak whom you may have seen in episodes of The Listener or Covert Affairs, or in the features Brick Mansions and Plato's Reality Machine. And you'll definitely be seeing her in theaters pretty much everywhere this weekend as Magda, the very human wife of one Eric Lenscher, in Bryan Singer's X-Men Apocalypse, opening Friday, May 27th. Carolina chose Volver, Pedro Almodovar's 2006 drama about the tangled lives of two Madrid sisters, Raimunda and Sol, played by Penelope Cruz and Lola Duenas. And how their shared and separate histories collide when their mother, played by longtime Almodovar collaborator Carmen Maura, unexpectedly resurfaces. It's a complicated, emotionally volatile film with a specific chemistry that was reflected in its can wins. The jury gave Almodovar the Best Screenplay Prize and awarded Best Actress to all six of the principal stars. A little word of warning. We generally expect listeners to be familiar with the movie under discussion, but seriously, if you haven't seen Volver at least once, it would be a terrible idea to play the rest of the show— Go buy the Blu-ray. It's dirt cheap on Amazon right now. And immerse yourself in Almodovar's glorious world. Then come back. We're here for you. This is someone else's movie.
1: It, I don't know how it's happy, but it is a happy yeah. movie. This movie, I haven't been able to get it out of my head since I saw it, I think probably 10 years ago. It's a movie that I feel like Almodovar was like, hey, I'm just going to take a bunch of really beautiful moments and string them together and make an entire film out of it that is a cohesive and it works perfectly. Yeah, but that's
0: actually a really good way to it.
1: Yeah, that. each scene has its own sense of beauty, even from violent moments to just conversations to very emotional moments. They're all so beautifully done. And the thing that... Um, I think the, the reason I really, really love this film is you don't really see that many American films that have four female leads...
0: Well, not unless it's something like how to be single. Like It it's, it has to be more overtly commercial. It
1: has to be more right? commercial. You don't,
0: get, you don't get a lot of dramas that just focus on female characters.
1: Yeah, and, to and the, it's To also... the exclusion
0: of the males and characters in this film.
1: Yeah, and, and these women never talk about men. And to me, these women are the women that I see in my life. Women who are powerful, who are flawed, who are emotional, who are so loving and... And it doesn't matter what happens between them, there's always a love that holds them together. Even through the death of the death, quote-unquote, yeah. of, mo- of, the, of the mother, they're always held together. And those are the women that I'm familiar with in my life, especially coming from a European background where personalities are so strong. But I don't see that in Hollywood films. And it ne- and I have this such a desire for that to be more prevalent in films. Like, I was watching Jessica Jones recently... And, have you watched it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so good. And there's there's Jessica, and I can't remember her best friend's oh, name. Oh, Patsy. Patsy. And at first, when we introduced Patsy, I was like, okay, that these girls aren't going to like each other, because that's how it is in TV and film, is that women aren't nice to each other. Right. And then, as the show develops, you see that they're love and they're bond to each other, and they're committed to protect each other. And I'm like, that is familiar to, with how, to how my life is. All my girlfriends are so kind and gentle and... And I just don't see that enough in movies. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's weird that you'd mention Jessica Jones because it was something that struck me as well. Uh, in that the whole mind control thing in, in Jessica Jones lends itself to this elaborate um, abuse narrative. Which the characters are all fully aware of and contained in... Like, it's their history. Yeah. And Volver, weirdly, lines up with that in the emotional intensity. There's no, there's no extra normal stuff, but... There kind of is because it's Motivar, and everything he does is exaggerated and enhanced.
1: It's all heightened. And what's funny, I was thinking about the first time I saw the movie. I didn't know. I wasn't sure. So, first of all, you can't decide whether this movie is a comedy, a mystery, uh, a melodrama, a regular drama, or like a Hitchcockian. Yeah. When Paco is murdered... It looks like a Hitchcockian film. Is that even a word, Hitchcockian? Hitchcock.
0: Trust. I'm a film critic. It's absolutely. It's absolutely. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, no. I. It's when I was when you suggested the film, I. I remember thinking, "Oh, that's the one where," and then I realized I was remembering every Elmo de. Yeah,
1: that's the of... one there where there's a really strong female character, and they're all amazing and beautiful, and and there's a lot of vivid colors. Right. Oh, Wait, that's and all also, of his. Yeah.
0: And also, someone dies. Okay, also yes. Yeah. But it's um, but yeah, as you as you say, it is um, an incredibly over, felt
1: mm-hmm. experience, mm-hmm. I guess.
0: And I interrupted you, and I feel oh bad. no, so no problem.
1: You. Um, but none, but oh yeah. So what I was gonna say is. When I saw the movie the first time, I, for the entire movie, still didn't know if the mom was a ghost. Okay. I was, the whole time, I was like, she might be a ghost. I'm going to accept it. And then only when they have the friend, when um, Penelope Raymunda and her mom are reunited, when she says, are you, are you dead? And she goes, no, I'm not a ghost. I was like, oh, yeah. she's not a ghost. That makes more sense. Sure. However, I was willing to take whatever the- Pedro Almodovar was giving me because I it all, it all kind of worked and it made sense. Yeah,
0: I mean, he certainly constructs a, a world while you're watching where that's possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything. there's so many ideas flying around with, with his work anyway that I'm yeah. just trying to figure out which one to, to fix on and start with. Uh, I kind of came up as a critic while he was establishing himself as well, so Matador was playing at the Bloor when I was just starting to review films, and it was yeah. that kind of world where he was this outrageous art house habitué, where you would turn around and there would be a new provocation from him. That's how they were presented. You know, yeah. Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown was the film that everybody saw and thought, oh, he's going mainstream, and then realized, no, he's not capable of doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and then he went off again with Time Me Up, Time you Down, and then by the time he delivered there it sort of feels like a valedictory run, like this is the accumulation mm. of everything he has made and everything he has done, and he's this suddenly he's this classicist. Um, and it still feels like a film that no one else could have made, that he's trained us for 20 years to see what he's doing and, and how to understand this movie, which is why uh, you're open to the possibility yeah. that, you know what, that might just be a ghost. This uh, this might not be real.
1: Are we part of a big experiment? With it Pedro? feels that... like... we're just the rats in a cage, and he's like, okay, you're finally ready. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> for... feels like... Yeah, for exactly what I want to present to you.
0: But there are auteurs who build, you know, in, in that weird way of making absolutely sure the, the the audience is ready for their film and if you're not ready, if you haven't seen five of the ten, you're going to be lost. It's it's a really strange gamble and yet Volver is packaged in this sort of classic melodrama mm-hmm. packaging where it looks and sounds and feels like a a fifties film, either by Hitchcock or maybe Douglas Sirk, where you need these sumptuous colors and these incredible soundtrack yeah. aspects, both the music and the and the sound itself. And it just hypnotizes you into going along with
1: it. Yeah. I also find going along with it, it doesn't it doesn't have a very definitive three-act structure. No. As we're <laughs> trained in Hollywood films, it's so easy to predict how you're going to feel at what point in the movie. In this movie, I'm still not even sure what this movie is about. <laughs> but from each scene to next scene, I'm, I've, I've seen the movie seven times, mm-hmm. and I never can remember what comes next. Because none of it... It's not, it's not a linear film. Yeah, no, it's
0: almost an anthology, really. I mean, it's structured as a series
1: of tales. Yeah, happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, in a, in a Hollywood film, you'd have... for In the first 30 minutes, we we figure out what the hero's journey is, and, and you could argue that uh, Paco's death is going to be what the movie's about. It is not about Paco's no. death at all.
0: No, he barely... Well, not barely. He registers, but it's not... Yeah, it's not about him at
1: it's all. It's not about him at all. And the closest that I've been able to kind of superimpose... This film onto a Hollywood structure is you know by by the time it seems like it's it seems like her goal in the movie is to not look at the past is to is to keep moving forward in her busyness and never have to face the past, sure
0: yeah,
1: and then the series of events happen with Paco all of a sudden she has to revisit revisit sexual assault, especially like incest sexual assault with her daughter which luckily she was able to prevent she didn't her daughter didn't have to go through what she ended up going through and and then the rest of the movie it's funny because her mom is there but they never meet until almost the third act in the film I think that's the end of the second act is when they finally meet and she has her meltdown Mm -hmm. and she can no longer run from the past she has to face everything that's happened and then in the third act, she's able to rebuild her life. And I think that's why... I was wondering why she she buries Paco in that fridge in beside the river. And it could have been so easy for a motivar to say, okay, and then you pack up the van and you leave. But she makes a tombstone for him on a tree. Yeah. And I think that's her being like, I forgive you, not only to Paco, but... For everyone, for all the men in her life who have brought her uh, sadness, and also her mom, who she was so angry with that never she that her mom never noticed that she had been abused. That it was almost like a, it was like a, a an end to a chapter, and she was saying, "I forgive you. It's time for me to leave this all behind."
0: Yeah, it felt to me like a, it's that classic it's almost a noir trope you know you create the you you put the x on the map or you you hide the treasure or the fortune or the falcon or whatever Mm -hmm. it is but this felt yeah this felt like a signpost that she could avoid in the future not that she's dragging herself back to it but if she sees that it's like oh that's right i'm not going there again yeah but it's a conscious decision everything that and and this is where you get into uh the the amazing cruise performance who i i'm i'm so ready to write off Penelope Cruz in English most of the time because her line readings tend to be the same and she's Mm. never as convincing as I think she could be, but that's because I've seen her Spanish work uh, and she is amazing, more often than not. And in Volver, she is, yeah... This Ugh. is like we're, we're recording this the day after Xavier Dolan belly flopped at Cannes.
1: Oh, he didn't do well. Uh, they hated it. Oh no! Um, I
0: haven't seen the film, obviously. Yeah. And uh, the response was apparently like he was booed and it didn't go well. But
1: you know what? Who cares? He's made so many great movies. He's a
0: fairly volatile director as well, so oh. they might be responding to that. But... Yeah.
1: Also, people are figure. He's figuring out his art. People throughout their entire careers are figuring out their art. No sure. one's gonna. No one's gonna do three pointers. Every time they make something, is that a saying? I don't even yeah, think, think that's so. a saying. I think so. Um,
0: but but the the but what um, uh, what El Motivar is doing in Volver, and what Cruz is doing specifically feels like the kind of thing the emotional, the stylized emotional realism, if that's even a thing, mm-hmm. that Delon is trying for every time. Mm -hmm. And Omotivar doesn't do it every time. Sometimes he's very reserved. Things like bad education or Mm -hmm. talk to her which are almost metaphorical treatments of the stories they're telling. Mm -hmm. Um, And and here Cruz is just so real in an unreal frame that it is sort of doubly Painful to watch yeah. her, and doubly impactful. And that's, I think, what Delon is trying to do every time out of the gate is to create that sort of situation.
1: You should not hire Penelope Cruz.
0: <laughs> well, it's weird that he hasn't talked to her, yet. or he probably has, but he's probably they haven't worked with her yet. Yeah. But yeah, they would. They I can see her doing really well in his in his world. Yeah. Because what she does here is, I mean, she was good before, but this is probably the best thing she's ever done.
1: This is uh, hands down the best thing she's ever done. It, it feels. Like you said, it feels heightened, but it feels so real. She can, on a dime go from being angry to smiling that smile where you immediately forgive her for yelling at another person yeah. um, and just you can tell you can tell Elmodovar loves women he can you can tell he treats every woman with such respect and and I was reading that um because her her breasts are very highly featured in this movie. Sure,
0: they're a narrative point.
1: Was, <laughs> they're, they're, they kind of are. Yeah, and it's a couple like this, of shots. So, yeah. It's
0: the, they're. This sounds silly to be talking about, but their placement is important to the story at at least two different moments in the yeah. film. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> I'm glad you
1: agree. With yeah. me. it felt like a tightrope walk. So <laughs> no, no, I I agree. Um, but he's. I think um, Almodovar said, "I may be a gay man, but I still think that breasts are beautiful." <laughs> and I'm like, "You're absolutely correct." When when they're not overly sexualized when they're just part of what a woman is, they are so beautiful. Right. Well, it becomes like a, like a form study. Yeah. And, and and it's, there's no, usually I struggle with um, movies that really highlight like a female's breast where they, where they push them up and point them out. Like I, it's, it's, it's distasteful, like a,
0: like a different type of storytelling tool. Right? Like, yeah,
1: it's it, distasteful. It's
0: eroticizing.
1: Yeah, and you're saying like this is a sexual object, and sexuality is so heavily present in Penelope Cruz's performance. Mm-hmm. But it is—it's all—it's her—it's her—it's—it's part of her power. Yeah. And I think he's appreciating her beauty instead of being like I want to do something to that. You know? Yeah,
0: she's not put forward as an. She's never put forward as an object. Never. She is. Um, what was that terrible movie she made? Oh, uh, Woman on Top. Okay. Every now and then in the states, they would try to frame her as, um, you know, a sex puppet.
1: Yeah, uh, oh, God. because
0: that's how they process her. She's a European. She uses her body in her performances. Well, uh, I don't know. Let's treat her like somebody from the fifties or sixties. Like, oh, that know, makes Because it's the only way they could figure out what to do with her. Yeah. Um. But in the, in in Volver, there are scenes of of. Penelope Cruz just cooking in a kitchen and working with things and it's tactile and yeah. it's not sexual but it is eroticized but it's not eroticized in a demeaning or negative way oh, it's wow. a a way of showing us and you know just it, her facility with a knife among other things but she is powerful in domestic situations as well as in the heightened stuff that's going on elsewhere in the film yeah and it's i think one of our I mean, I know he uses actors as bodies. It's one of his things. It has been all along. Um, But with Volvere, he finds a a frame again. He finds a way to do it that harkens back to all of cinema somehow, all of the things he grew up watching. And it doesn't feel exploitative so much as investigative.
1: Yeah. I feel like he just wanted to get close to her and just be a fly on the wall while she's making a a martini or the mojitos or she's cutting those tomatoes or she's doing the dishes. I could watch her dial a phone (laughs) and be fascinated with how she does it. Even... It's so interesting that she... uh, Because this is one thing about Omotovar as well is that he will watch someone do something very mundane. This movie, had it been done in Hollywood, would be 30 minutes shorter. (laughs) Because we wouldn't watch someone walk across the street just to get to the other side. Or watch someone make a phone call to order to rent a van like we we just sat there and watched her make a reservation yeah (laughs) but it was so interesting and I was I was like make another reservation (laughs) what would that look like
0: yeah no the mechanics of Raimunda's life as then the more we learn about them are more interesting just to see how she manages all the things that go on in her life and and how the rest of the movie sort of rotates around her and and finds room for the other characters that are existing with her Mm -hmm. but it's I guess if you know what a is up to and you know what he usually does in his films, these digressions and these moments of calm are also kind of signifiers that you should pay closer attention. But the casual viewer might have just thought, oh, this is I don't know why this is happening. Well, it's because we need to see her process. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a Chantal Ackerman choice. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now I really wonder what his version of Jean Dielman would look like. Yeah. But uh, so, how familiar were you with him when you with Almodovar and his storytelling style when you saw this?
1: Oh, you know what? I wouldn't even be able to map out when I saw this film and when I saw his other films. Mm -hmm. This is the one. I'm. As an actor, I look at her role in this film and think, if I could only be given that part. and and be given a part surrounded by these other beautiful, wonderful, soulful women. Right. Um, I think I'm just so attracted to this role. This is why I've watched this movie eight or nine times. Um, and also, there's something so gentle about Almodovar. He's so. There's a scene where it's close to the beginning of the movie where the mother is already hiding underneath the bed. And Raim, oh my God, <laughs> that's what it is. It breaks my heart every time when Raimunda is taking a pee. He watches her take a pee, and it was interesting, <laughs> where she's taking a pee and she smells her mother's farts. That's right. What I mean, if you think about it, I I have I had a dog as a kid. I still remember what his farts smell like, <laughs> and it's it's like it's going to maintain a place in my brain for the rest of my life. And something as as significant as a mother. To make that connection between her mother... It's, it's such a beautiful moment where she's like, it smells of my mother's farts. Mm. And she she wanders into that room, and the point of view of the mother... I'm sure that the mother hasn't seen Raimunda in, in... Or I don't even know what the timeline is. Maybe she hasn't seen her since uh, Paula had been born. So maybe like 15 it's, years. Yeah, I was going
0: to say it's at least a decade, yeah. Yeah.
1: So the first time she sees her daughter in 15 years, she sees her ankles... She just sees her ankles walking along the floor from the point of view underneath the bed. And how heartbreaking is that? That's the first time you see your daughter who you love so much, who you have so much to say to. She's so close that she could even reach out and touch her ankles, but she can't. I mean, oh, like how beautiful is that as a filmmaker to say this is how I want to present them to each other after 15 years yeah and
0: because of its placement in the film we don't even really understand the impact of that until later until maybe second viewing third viewing it's just a piece of something greater that, that seems to be what he's after in this film is how everything returns to a greater impact and how everything builds and you can really... I mean, this is this was sort of the theme of All About My Mother as well a few years earlier, is you can really only understand someone once you've understood the totality of their life mm-hmm. as, a, like, as a subject, as a fictional subject. And we're just here to put things together as best we can until we really, you know, we run out of story. Yeah. So he just keeps things percolating and coming at us.
1: Yeah, its I guess we don't even really find out what the movie is about until... Until The Big Confession, yeah, which is yeah.
0: it's a good line three quarters
1: way of the way. of the, like, It's the end of the second act in my mind. This is where we find out that Raimunda had gone through this sexual assault and this is why she distanced herself from everyone, which is why the mother came back, which is why Agustina's mother is killed, which is why her dad is killed. Yeah. And you have no idea that that's going to happen and that that's what the entire movie is about. And I guess it's that big confession, I mean, that, that moment in the scene where she sings the song, um, do you remember that scene Mm. in the restaurant? Yeah. Uh, first of all, there's this really great moment where she's just sitting there smelling mint. (laughs) He's just, like, there's some action happening in the scene and she's kind of looking off into the distance and smelling mint. I mean, what a beautiful little touch.
0: Yeah. And, and it connects it to the scent stuff earlier and, and throughout, I mean, throughout the entire film there's, there's a sense of that. Yeah. Uh, but, and and so weird that that would be something that you would choose to make in a choose to make a, a metaphor or a motif in a movie where the audience cannot smell it. Yeah. We're all interacting with our own memories of smells in that moment. Yeah. It's not anything that he can do. Uh, you can't represent that. You just have to trigger it in people.
1: Yeah, it is a sensory overload. This film isn't. Yeah, it? very much so. With all the colors, I was also wondering why he. St- he featured the color red. It's like a crimson, like a Coca-Cola red. Yeah. Why is it? Well, I mean,
0: it's all over. I'm just, you know, it's, it's all, all over the Blu-ray case. They're, and... they're
1: wearing, they're all wearing these, it's the same color red. There, it's the bus is that color, the sweaters, the, she's wearing a red and white striped shirt, then her daughter's wearing a red and white striped shirt, then the restaurant is red. And I kept thinking, like, what is red? Why? Why would he choose red? Is it, you know, red can represent passion, uh, anger, jealousy, all these things. Mm. And in the end, I was like, I think he picked it because it's really pretty. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's <laughs> th- certainly possible.
1: Yeah, he's... he's at, like, if Spain is a country... If you, if you ever walk through the streets of Barcelona... It's just made to be beautiful. Gaudi's art is everywhere, and it's just made to be beautiful. And I was like, maybe that's why he chose the color mm-hmm. red. I, I couldn't think of another reason. I don't know if you could.
0: It's just, the, I mean, it's certainly the most vivid. Mm-hmm. it would. St- I, I thought about it for a while while I was watching. I was just trying to figure out what the scheme was. Mm-hmm. But I think it really is just overdose. It's overwhelming. Um, and also, I wonder if... Um, because I'm a nerd uh, if the the use of red just came at a point for him because he'd made films with, with that are drenched in color before but he had complained once I remember this that there was poor representation of his films on video the reason that they didn't work as well he thought I think it was when the Criterion Collection released Women on the Verge that the color red doesn't look good, on wow. it, or didn't at the time. It didn't represent very well because the way AV signals were sent to televisions, it split the reds, and so you'd get these blurs and these, these faded oh, reds. Wow, wasn't until, you are
1: a nerd. I am it's a amazing. Huge,
0: nerd, huge. huge nerd. <laughs> but it wasn't until DVD came along, and then subsequently things got better uh, in terms of the technology and HD video that you could actually get red to look right. So maybe so Finally, he was repressed. He was, or he was encouraged.
1: Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. I mean, Matador is pretty red, but if you've ever seen the old VHS or DVD copies of it, they're it's smeared. It really doesn't look good at all. It looks kind of ugly. And I've seen it on film, and it's not ugly. I mean, it's incredibly stylized and, and gorgeous in its kind of messiness. But the colors don't smear and separate the way that they do... In the previous presentations. Uh, you know, Volver, I th- I'm pretty sure, it was his first film to be released on Blu-ray. And it is definitely the best-looking thing he's he'd done. It's so years.
1: voluptuous, the film. Everything about it. Even, even I was reading that Penelope Cruz wore a prosthetic butt.
0: I think I remember
1: that. In the film. Because he had her watch uh, Sophia Loren. And that's, because he was like, that's the character I want to go for. Right. This passionate, loving, motherly, but sexual creature.
0: Yeah, kind of an earth mother but really much more carnal.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's a very strong carnal element to her. Um so he had and, and she's a small, she's not a large woman. Mm-hmm. So he had her put a prosthetic butt on her and you can see you can see it when she's walking and it makes it's so beautiful. It looks <laughs> so good.
0: It is weird that that anyone would think that it would be necessary to further sexualize <laughs> Penelope Cruz just based on the work she'd done with yeah. him alone. But yeah, it's the right decision because it creates, even unconsciously, that heightened, um, that heightened reality of, of things being bigger, brighter, thicker, heavier than they are. Yeah. And what feed, it feeds itself in a weird
1: way. Who do you think is the older sister, Sole of the two. or Remunda? They never say that, and I've been very curious as to who would be the older sister. I,
0: I don't know. Now that you mention it. I was going to say Ramunda, as the younger sister and I now I'm using every episode of CSI in my head to frame <laughs> it like she probably would have been more likely to be abused if she was the younger sister maybe. but that's just television I don't know that that's actually true
1: maybe I've 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 thought about this cuz she has that cuz the
0: resentment between them maybe she failed to protect maybe so they failed to protect her or that I I'm just I'm trying to put things together in my head, but I have no idea.
1: Yeah, I that's haven't... a really interesting question. Yeah, I haven't been able to figure it out. I think she seems younger. I'm the young child, and I'm definitely the more spoiled <laughs> and mercurial person in the family, okay. so that's why I'm connecting that maybe she's the youngest child. Um, but Soleil has this calmness about her, but also a very childlike quality about her, which is why mm. Raimuna kind of bosses her around.
0: Yeah, which would make, more likely make Raimunda the older sister.
1: Yeah. Although I know
0: plenty of bossy younger. Kids. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the oldest in my family, so.
1: Okay.
0: I don't know, I'm pretty sure I'm bossy. <laughs> I have a, I, have, I like to think I have a quiet authority. <laughs> but no, probably not. Yeah. Uh, No, the family dynamic, but that is something else that the film doesn't immediately reveal and you have to unpack as you watch it and, and, and figure out, Who's missing and why, and and where the holes in people's lives are. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I never think of of Volvere as a plotty film, although like it's all plot, it's, it's all, all backstory plot. and front story.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and I'm just I was when you picked it, I was trying to remember how to pitch it. I was trying to think about how to do the introduction of the episode, which I'll record later, so you don't need to worry about it. But I dug out the disc and I realized that the plot is barely coherent. Uh, in the description because you don't want to give anything away yeah. but at the same time you can't really explain it in a coherent way.
1: Because it's not about one thing you can't say a woman protects her daughter from the sexual advances of her not actual father right. but she doesn't with that. Right. Um, because that's not what the movie's about.
0: Yeah. No, you can, I mean, you can say, I mean, they're, they're you know, the, the standard line is, for almost any drama, uh, especially melodrama, the standard pitch is always going to come down to, you can't outrun your past. Yeah. Which, again, it is the case. Yeah. But she's not trying to. Like, she's not outrunning her past. She's I mean, confronting I, it head on. I think
1: less. she's trying to outrun it. Part
0: of her, maybe. I mean, her, some of her behavior is, but the thing that she's, I guess... What I'm, what I mean is that she's already confronted it. She's dealt with that stuff, and she's trying to move forward. But I don't know that if she's trying to, I don't know whether she's trying to outrun it as much as just.
1: Huh. Yeah. See, I found that's what I was trying to figure out. Like what is,
0: and what even constitutes the past in this case?
1: Yeah. I mean, to me, the fact that she left her small town, moved to Madrid and never comes back to this town doesn't didn't speak to her mom for 14 15 years mm. that to me i thought that she was trying to outrun her past um and then her mom coming back into her life it's literally an explosion in her life as she has to she has to at that moment talk about what she hasn't talked about for 15 years
0: that's true she i mean she is yeah, she's clearly upset by the return of it, so she's not at peace.
1: She's definitely not at peace. Yeah. And I think that's why she could have, for example, buried Paco before she ran into her mom. That could have happened. But he didn't, Pedro Maldivar didn't do it that way. He, that's true. Yeah. She, buried, she buried Paco after she sees her mom and reconnects with her mom. So it's almost like a bury. It's a. It's almost a ritual. She's burying him yeah. and moving on.
0: It's motivated by that, as opposed to something that she had been planning. Yeah, that's a, actually that's a completely fair point. I think I've misread that.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm also not a cinephile and expert in this, but no, no. that's just I've definitely how I... seen
0: the film more than I have, <laughs> more often and more recently, most likely. Yeah. Uh, but um, there's something about Cruz's performance that maybe it's not inner peace as much as it is just certitude but she carries herself with this sort of centered confidence yeah she does she doesn't panic she doesn't freak
1: out she she does she gets angry she gets angry but also he wrote into the script that she goes back to working in restaurants and the movie is called Volver which means to go back Mm -hmm. and it seems like she almost has to go back into the past in order to move forward right
0: Maybe this is the last cycle where you just come back out again.
1: Yeah, and maybe she comes back out of the labyrinth and therefore gets to continue her life in a more healthy way. Mm-hmm. Um, even even that moment where she says to her daughter, she they're at the party and they, they hear someone starting to strum a guitar and her ears perk up and, and she says, listen, this is the song, this is the song that I sang 15 years ago. And her daughter says, I've never heard you sing before. And that almost brings Penelope Cruz to tears yeah. when, her, when her daughter says that. And she says, you haven't heard me sing before. Would you like to hear it now? And she goes and sings the song Volver. And to me, that means that she had repressed all the, the singing, the joy had been packed so deeply, deep inside of her, and that it was slowly starting to seep out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean it is. It, it, that's another thing about melodrama too. It can convey uh, characters reawakening to life mm-hmm. through the vividness of the cinematography and the mise en scène and the sense of it. But yeah, that's actually making it literal in that scene that this is her reconnecting with that part of herself. But I, yeah, no, you're right. I've completely misinterpreted.
1: <laughs> you're gonna have to rewatch it, I'm and then perfectly... we can have a we can have another debate. <laughs>
0: I am perfectly fine to do that. Uh, <laughs> no, I, it's a. Uh, it is a. It's a splendid film really and and the one that i think of as his most personal even though it probably isn't cuz i'm pretty sure all about my mother is really
1: i don't think he can make a film world. that's not personal
0: yeah it's weird it's it's weird to be i can't even think about the last like, it, he's such a he's been such a fixture in the art scene that the last couple of movies he's made have not been received quite so uh, tremendously um, to the point where now I can't even remember the title of the last one I'm, I'm
1: Broken Embraces?
0: Yeah Broken Embraces which is sort of actively hitchcocking the skin I'm in.
1: Oh my god. Right? Oh my um, god. That's pretty good. That movie gave me nightmares.
0: Well I think it's supposed to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and he has a film at Cannes I think tomorrow. Oh my god. Is it the next one? Julieta yeah, no. I, I should. Uh, I mean, I should take back the, the dismissal of all of his his recent work because the skin I'm in is actually really, really good. It's so creepy. But also uniquely not him. I mean, it kind of does. It pulls back to the older body horror films that he was sort of flirting with in the '80s. But
1: and I remember the colors being almost—it's all white, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, very whites subtuned? and grays. Yeah,
0: and flesh tones, of course. Um, but he's uh, he's a filmmaker who... Yeah, sorry. Uh, so he went from Volver to Broken Embraces, which is another Women in Trouble film starring Cruz. Yeah. Uh, so that was really dismissive of me. <laughs> uh, the Skin I Live In, which is absolutely unlike anything else he's done lately, and not a melodrama, but a creepy, cold yeah. body horror film. Yeah. And then I'm So Excited, which felt like a throwaway. Uh, I'm, and I'm very curious to see Julieta, because... I don't know anything about it. It's playing tomorrow, and we'll learn more then, but uh, I'm currently very curious. But this is a guy who, who has also made you know, diversion pictures, stuff like Kika and the Flower of My Secret and Life Flesh. He was sort of in the wilderness in the 90s before he figured out what he really wanted to do with yeah. All About My Mother. And in Volver, I do think he... I don't know that he peaked, but he absolutely hit the culmination of the thing he was doing.
1: Yeah, it seems that everything that he's been wanting to do manifested itself perfectly yeah. in in this movie whether it was the aesthetic whether it was the stories the relationships between everyone and I'm still amazed that he was able to make like a coherent linear film
0: yeah which is still kind of rife with not flashbacks exactly but callbacks and pullbacks and pieces of the past uh, just to, to build on what you were saying I think it's amazing that he made this movie and that people got it and that it actually landed yeah. with everyone
1: I think it got, like, 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, it's got four stars from Roger Ebert.
0: Yeah, I'd be... I mean, I can't... I don't remember a negative review. I'm sure there were a couple, but it doesn't feel like the kind of film that you could miss. Like, if you, if, if you... People could maybe reject what he's going for or say they've seen it before, but I don't think in this case that actually applies. This felt like the perfection, like the apex of the Almodovar film, such as they are.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think at some when you read some descriptions of the film, people say a comedy starring Penelope Cruz, and then the next description is a melodrama starring <laughs> Penelope Cruz. Next a one, a mystery, mystery. <laughs> yeah. starring Penelope Cruz. I mean, how skilled do you have to be as a craftsman to be able to put all of those aspects into one film and confuse the hell out of anyone who's trying to describe the film? Yeah,
0: <laughs> it is all of
1: those things.
0: Um, I think if, you know... 50 years from now, you'd be able to point to this and say, oh, it's an Almodovar picture. The way that people look at, you know, the birds and say, oh, that's Hitchcock, or written on the wind is, oh, that's Mm Cirque. They are, it is its own thing in a way that only tracks back to him, and... It's great that Penelope Cruz is the face of it because that way you can point people to it instead yeah. of, oh, it's this weird movie by this guy who you may not have heard of featuring a bunch of actors. You know who Carmen Mauer is? No, well, uh, I have to show you five or six other movies. You've, you've got Cruz, her face as the focus, as the complete um, face of the film, but also representing everything. That weird look on her on her face on the poster does actually convey everything about the movie. Yeah, It's not easily described, but you know it when you see it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, her performance in it is just one of the most beautiful performances I've seen in those hoop earrings. I mean, who could pull those off? <laughs> That's true. I could not.
0: It's <laughs> definitely beyond me.
1: Yeah. So,
0: the, um, so the, the the rap question on the show is always the same as well, which mm-hmm. is... um you know, oh I'm what... scared. No, no, no. It'll be fine. Uh, what, if anything, of the film have you used yourself or incorporated into your creative DNA is is there a piece of Volvere that can be found in your work
1: oh I want that prosthetic butt the <laughs> next movie I make I'm definitely doing a prosthetic butt um you know what I don't know if I've had the opportunity to play such a sophisticated and multi-dimensional character yet okay which is why I've started to move into producing a little bit because I want to see more of that out there I think I think if we had more films like this in Hollywood, it's hard to be sexist and misogynist when you see such powerful women. Yeah. And we and we don't see that in Hollywood. We see... And also, we see relationships between women in film being always very passive-aggressive or directly aggressive. And I would want to make a movie like this where you say, no, 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 this is how I experience my female friends. And it's always... It can be dark, but it is so full of love and light. And that's what, that, that's what I would take away from this film, is that I want to keep pushing these stories. There's so many moments where the mother or... The mother bursts into tears, but they're all like laughter tears. Yeah. That mo- The moment after she uh, finishes singing the song, her mom is lying... I mean, what a beautiful shot. She's laying in the car hiding and then just laughing and crying simultaneously because it's such a beautiful moment. It's such a connection between a mother and a daughter.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, that's what I want to be seeing more of.
0: So how do you do that? I mean, how, how are you personally trying to build that? Are you chasing scripts? Are you working with people? Are you...
1: Um I have a I have a group of um a group of friends that we've started making short films. We made um a short film that went to the 48-hour film challenge and then mm-hmm. won the 48-hour film challenge here and then went to the LA challenge and actually I love the character that I I played in that film is a is a woman who's a, a con artist and she's beyond arrogant about her I mean she she looks like me. She looks like a, a parkdale hipster or whatever okay. and she and she can go around and she steals people's wallets and steals change from restaurant tables she's so arrogant because she can get away with it and then that's part of the story okay um but yeah i'm also in the in the process of trying to get a feature off the ground yeah i would love to i would love to push more stories like this like what a beautiful beautiful story well, that's great and i yeah. think
0: it's also kind of quietly wonderful that you can be in this gigantic thing that you're in, and still spin out into that direction. You know, the the idea that you've you've been part of a big superhero machine, and you don't want to do that immediately afterwards because they seem to infect people.
1: I mean, if they were to say, "Here's another one," <laughs> I wouldn't be like, "No, I'm making a short film." Yeah.
0: Um, but from your perspective, you've made a small independent movie. Your character is removed from all the big stuff.
1: Yes, yeah, so and that's the most. That's the best part. So
0: you just a person
1: i just play a human being who is placed in a difficult position yeah Um, i'm pulled away from all of the hoopla of the film which my favorite part of that film is the fact that there's the dramatic moments between a husband and a wife Mm and a husband being confronted by his past yeah i mean those are the
0: things that (laughs) you know i was going to say those are the things that Voltaire is about those are the things that uh Drama is about.
1: Yeah, I guess I guess that's the lesson. Do you have anything you're running away from that I need to know about? Not this week. Okay. (laughs) Just packing. Just packing, right? These
0: boxes that you see everywhere around us. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah, but so as far as the um, as far as producing goes, that's. I mean, I'm really I'm glad to see people, and I guess that's part of the digital revolution too. Now that everybody the tools are cheaper, so it's possible to explore these things without getting. You know, studios are giant production entities involved. You can make the movies you want to make.
1: Oh, absolutely! And you can, you can push the projects that no one else would be willing to pick up. And you know, you can make a short film if you're creative. You can make a short film for, you know, from start to finish for a thousand bucks. You know, get a couple friends together and put that money together. That's not so bad. Our last film that we just we're going we're shopping to festivals right now. I think our final budget was fourteen hundred. That's after post sound, color correction. Wow. You know, three days of shooting. No one got paid on it except for obviously the sound people. Cause right. try and get a sound person to do something for free. <laughs> I mean, they deserve. I mean, they are they are craftsmen in their own right. Um, but you yeah. can you can make projects for really really cheap and and I think that's the best way to do it. Cause make your mistakes with a really really low budget. Yeah, That's the best thing that you can say to any aspiring filmmaker. Just make a lot of mistakes on really cheap projects.
0: Yeah.
1: And then so that you're not disheartened to make the next one.
0: My thanks to Carolina Barchak, whom you'll see alongside Michael Fassbender in X-Men Apocalypse in theaters everywhere this Friday, May 27th. You can also check out her short film Femme Brulee on YouTube and keep an eye out for her next short, Fox Trouble, on the festival circuit later this year. Kristen Burns in it. You can find Carolina on Twitter at Carol Barchak, C-A-R-O-L-B-A-R-T-C-Z-A-K, all one word. And you can find there on Blu-ray and DVD from Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Dirt cheap on Amazon right now, seriously. And for rental and purchase on iTunes and Google Play in the U.S. In Canada, you can find it on Netflix. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and elsewhere on the internet at nowtoronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast. S-E-M-Cast and on the web at someoneelse'smovie.com. If you want to leave a review for us on iTunes, that would be very, very kind of you. This week's call sign is Overheated Naturalism. Thanks for listening. <laughs>